You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Hey everyone, Ray here. Um, here's another talk history episode. Um, this one is with Jamie Redfern of the History of Hannibal series. Uh, you should definitely check out his podcast. Um, we were able to get in some serious history in this episode. Um, we also went off on some tangents. Don't ask me how Buddy Epson got involved, but he did. Um, but we handled it uh, professionally. Anyway, it's been brought to my attention that I did a rather dodgy job of describing my latest Audible recommendation. So I would like to take another crack at it, please. Um, so it's early 1941. Lay Force, which is a special operations unit within the British military, is being disbanded, um, mostly because the Royal Navy, in between taking on the Italians, dealing with the German U-boats that come in and trying to pr protect their own possessions, um, simply don't have the means to shuttle around the special forces units to get behind enemy lines to cause the appropriate uh, trouble and harassment. But one of their numbers, David Sterling, thinks to himself, no, this is a good idea. We just have to find another, make, another way to make it work. So he goes to um, Middle East Command, um, and even that is a story in itself on how he's able to, um, to secure permission. But I'll leave that to you in the book. Uh, you'll really enjoy it. So he, he gets it going. The men train. He selects his men. They start training, and they're about to have their first um, operation. And because of the weather, mostly, and some other factors, it's a complete disaster. He loses more than half of his men on the first operation. They're either uh, killed or captured, and he knows that the plug – on this can be pulled at any second, especially with those kinds of results. So he, without directly asking permission, uh, attaches himself to a unit that will give him some supplies, and they start up again, obviously with a with a much smaller group. Uh, they've learned a lot. They're very careful, and they um, have some amazing results. And, of course, then it's safe to go back to Middle East Command and ask for some more men. Um, but it's an amazing story. Um, they do a lot of damage to the Germans and the Italians, um, and just their... I don't know, their bravado, whatever you want to call it. They were truly courageous men. I could never see myself doing anything like that. Uh, but going through the story, you will learn a lot about the British military. You learn a lot about the German military, the situation in the desert. It, it will cover a lot of details that I will probably miss in the next whatever episodes. You'll also learn about special forces, the, uh, the explosions that they were able to create and come up with, and just different ways to sabotage. But the most interesting thing I learned was just literally life in the desert, how it didn't take a lot of mistakes um, for you to die. I mean, it was just so hot and you needed water and supplies all the time. But it's, it's, it's even worse than what you think it would possibly be trying to live there or work there or both. Um, so you should definitely check it out. Go to my website worldwar2podcast.net click on the audible link um, and check it out or get something else but I guarantee you if you get this book you will be amazed um, at the the trouble he was able he and his men David Sterling were able to give uh, Rommel and they deserve a lot of credit so I hope this description did a lot better job than the first one it's very painful to be called dodgy by one of your uh, British listeners so I hope I have made amends and now here's my talk history with Jamie Redfern. 
Greetings, everyone, from a beautiful day in central Virginia. Here's another talk history. Uh, this time we have Jamie Redfern from the History of Hannibal uh, with us today, and he's going to spend some time with us. Hello, Jamie. Hello, Ray. So, I speak to you here from rainy Britain when it's dark and miserable. Oh, I'm terribly sorry. So <laughs> I know it's late there, and um, I know you're a busy man, so I really appreciate you spending time with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure to be on the show. Thank you. So I always um, wanted to say that. Okay. My pleasure. <laughs> well, you, you got your chance. So uh, why don't you take a moment and tell us a little bit about yourself and your podcast? Well, as Ray said, I create the podcast A History of Hannibal, which is obviously a biography of Hannibal. We're covering detail of his life and the Punic Wars. We're currently up to the... Siege of Saguntum, I wrote the script for episode 18 today, and it's a lot of fun to listen to, I presume. Um, so, yeah, that's me. Okay. And where, where are you from exactly? I am from the um, Manchester in the United Kingdom, ah. northern England, for those of you who know nothing about the geography of England. Do you find uh, an excuse to uh, weave your favorite soccer team into your uh, into your episodes, or is that just a David Crowther thing? Oh, I always do. I um, <laughs> I what was it? I think I've done it twice recently. Once I was talking about how miserable it is to um, like to uh, be um, thinking you're going to win and then lose, right? Which, um, I compared that to being stabbed in the back, so I mentioned a recent loss to my wow. beloved Manchester City <laughs> from Real Madrid. Oh. And I also threw in... Um, a, I don't even know why I did it. I can't remember. Something about famous commentary lines. Right. And I ended up... Um, I, because there's the famous, uh, at least for people in England, the 1966 World Cup final. They think it's all over. It is now which I compared to um, how Manchester City won the title last year with the infamous Aguero! Because <laughs> we won the title in the last seconds of the season. Oh, yes. Very exciting. Mm-hmm. One day I hope to comprehend the passion that you have for the game, but uh, for right now I just, I just kind of sit back and wish I cared um, that much for anything, but that's a whole nother story. So, uh, so what would you like to uh, talk about today? Well, right. I would like to talk with you and let your listeners listen with us talking about World War II. There, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. I think they'll like that. Yeah, I don't know um, anything else, so let's go with that. <laughs> okay. Since you've been talking about the war in the desert quite recently. Why don't we start with that? Okay. Uh, Something you said in episode 61, which I thought was quite interesting, um, about uh, Franco being involved in North Africa and him wanting to take some of Algeria, but Hitler not wanting that. Why did Hitler not want Franco to be involved in North Africa? Right, yeah. Hitler was playing a very delicate balancing game. Um, He wanted to give Franco something to get him in the war, the way he kind of wooed Mussolini into it. But at the same time, he needed France to pretty much accept his already harsh um, terms for his armistice. And if he'd pushed it any further, 
they might have fought on. They would have lost, but it would have taken time and um, troops, uh, troops and stuff like that. And he just didn't have the time to do to deal with that because he had to go uh, work on Britain. And he was also trying to convince Britain at the same time by supposedly taking it easy on France uh, that he really didn't want war. This could be the end of it. Just let's go to the table and talk. So he thought he was going to um, be able to impress France and Britain at the same time. And as we know now, it only worked on one, but it didn't work on the other. So he had to tread very lightly until he knew what Britain was going to do. Ah, right. That is very interesting. So he was uh, like focusing on the general picture rather than how best to win North Africa. Right. He's looking at the big map. Until he gets obsessed with Russia, he's, he, keeps his, um, he keeps his eye on the bigger map of uh, Europe, and he's just got to be very careful until he knows exactly what he's dealing with. Do you think that um, looking at the Big Mac, the Big Mac, <laughs> um, <laughs> he's a big McDonald's fan, um, Hitler was. Um, looking at the Big Map, do you think that uh, that is one of the reasons why the Axis were not successful in North Africa eventually? Well, there, there's, but, yeah. There are so many reasons. Um, one, when you have a partnership with someone and you don't communicate very effectively and you don't really trust each other and one side is a lot weaker, um, less martial than the other. And they're, and they're, to be honest with you, for the Italians, their, their spirit just was not in it. Um, mm-hmm. That kind of thing. And, and, and in episode 62 that's going to come out in a couple of days, I give more specific detailed explanations when I say Italy was weak militarily, but um, they just didn't talk to each other. The left hand didn't know what the right hand was doing. The uh, country, the people of the Middle East didn't really mind the Germans so much because the Germans never talked about um, coming in and conquering, but Mussolini did, and they were partners. So that was just another way that Mussolini um, hurt Hitler and his interests. Mm-hmm. So the... Um the imperialism of Italy kind of turned people away from exactly. Germany. Exactly. They're like, we don't mind Germany. If, if Germany beats up on Britain, maybe we can all have our independence and, um, you know, our resources back and stuff like that. But if, if Germany is going to be hand in hand with Mussolini and Mussolini has made it clear um, exactly what he wants, he wants an African and Middle Eastern empire, then they weren't going to be on board. And they could have, the people of the, the Arabs in the Middle East could have really have helped uh, the access by making the life of the British um, troops there and all their um, their positions there. They could have made it a lot more complicated, but they didn't because they didn't trust the Italians and they didn't trust the Germans who were who were supporting them. That's uh, yeah, very interesting stuff there. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, because I know that uh, in a few cases, which I've looked at in some detail around that period about how. Uh, Britain's imperialism had turned countries away. Like, uh, if you go back to World War One, right? About uh, British interests in the area, like in Egypt, had kind of persuaded Turkey to drift more towards the Axis, you no, know, the Central Powers, right? As they were back in the day, back in the day. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's just uh, you got you got to play the. You got to play the game very delicately. You got to you got to consider all the players on the field, and um, 
Sometimes when you make a mistake, you push someone into a, to your enemy's camp, and then you have to deal with that. And Hitler was just very cognizant of that. He, just like everyone else at the time, had studied World War One in great detail, and he was just trying not to repeat those mistakes. <clears throat> and he was doing pretty well until he opens up the second front, and then he, of course, that's the the biggest mistake he could have made. But up until then, he was he was doing a rather decent job of avoiding mistakes like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the biggest lesson from history, or the second biggest lesson from history, is never invade Russia because you will be doomed <laughs> exactly. to freeze to death. Exactly. The biggest lesson in history being that no one learns from history, obviously. <laughs> That's very well put. Yeah, and it's just, mm-hmm. just like... Um, Hitler thought he was a good, when he did get to Russia, he thought he would be able to take it out pretty quickly, but he lost what, like six weeks going into Greece trying to clean up another Italian mistake. And so, I mean, would those six weeks have made a big difference? Who knows? But uh, we'll never know because he, he could have, you know, been closer to the gates of the cities that he was at six weeks earlier if he didn't have to clean up another Italian mistake. Hmm. The Italians seem to have been a bit trigger-happy, if you so, like getting involved in things that they shouldn't have been getting involved with. Yeah, what, what confuses me is that Mussolini seems almost seems to be the only person in the country who wants war, and everybody else is like, well, we want territory, we want kind of it given to us, or maybe we can just bluff, bluff and bluster our way through and, and be handed territory, but we're not willing to fight and die for it. Um, and Hitler was not only willing to sacrifice many of his men, but he literally thought he was um, changing and reshaping the world and saving it from all the things that he considered evil. So there was no sacrifice too great. Whereas the Italians were like, well, we're in on this, but only if it's going to be really easy. We're going to get a lot out of it. And, um, you know, don't ask too much of us. And the Germans asked too much of them. So it all fell apart. Uh, then It didn't take very long to fall apart. And it did. Did um, people at the time realize that Italy wasn't in that strong position, even though it sometimes acted like it was? Well, the the devil's in the details, and I cover this in uh, in in great detail in episode sixty two. But what happens is, Italy ha- does have a very large modern fleet in the Mediterranean, and they do have a very large modern air force. But it took them a very long time to build all that stuff because their industrial base wasn't very strong; it wasn't very large. So any losses that they suffer they're not going to be able to recoup. And so because of that, they don't really want to fight and lose these ships or these planes because they know they're not going to have any more. Um, and their philosophy was, we're just going to have a fleet that's so that's so big, we're not going to have to use it. It's uh, called a fleet and beam philosophy. And we're just mm-hmm. going to be so big, no one's going to mess with us. And it comes down to Britain going, okay, we either surrender, we accept your premise, we can't beat your fleet because it's so big, or we fight on. And, and because they chose to fight, they pretty much negated um, the Italians' entire naval philosophy within one stroke. And it just it took them some time to, to uh, fight and win. But because they fought, they literally called Italy's bluff. Italy wasn't willing to stay in the game, and, and they just got uh, defeated within uh, two and a half years, something like that. And um, listening to you talk about that, it sounds a lot like the strategy the Persians used to have back in the day. I looked at this in my other podcast, which was about Alexander the Great. Right. And their strategy was to have 
a huge army, which it wasn't actually very good. It was full of, like, peasants who yeah. didn't really know how to fight. But if they had a big enough army, they could just scare the enemy into running away and win without having to fight a battle. And then once they actually forced people who were competent, like the Greeks, it all fell apart and their empire was gone. This podcast could not exist without the help of sponsors like Yahoo Finance. When it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. Now, you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses, Yahoo Finance. I've stressed this in my podcast about command and control, which is exactly what Yahoo Finance is. You can see all your investments and retirement accounts in one place. You can consolidate your views from multiple accounts into one hub and access the expert analysis you need to tend to your entire portfolio with confidence. Yahoo Finance has been around for more than 25 years, and they've worked things out. You've got the tools you need right at your fingertips. I open up my Yahoo Finance, and within seconds, I can see how my stocks and investments are doing. And basically, investing, it's all about growth. And in order to grow, you need to know what's going on. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Yeah, when it works, it's wonderful. When it doesn't, you find out exactly that having a whole bunch of peasants with sticks is doesn't match up to a trained professional army and that's that's what they do for a living they're not just pulled you know they'll be doing it for the next 20 or 30 years or whatever until they retire and it makes a huge difference it's all about training and that's what the british did in the desert they trained and they trained and so when finally they got their chance until rommel comes onto the scene they were able to handle the italians very effectively Mm -hmm. Though I just would like to say to all of my Italian listeners that I am not comparing you to peasants with sticks. No, absolutely not. Absolutely <laughs> no. I was I was in Rome for eleven days for my for my honeymoon, and even if it hadn't been my honeymoon, the the city's beautiful, the people were wonderful, and I mean, if you have to live someplace, Rome is definitely the place to be, and it's okay. Maybe it's okay not to be the. Um, the fiercest, meanest warriors on the planet, and um, but of course, no disrespect to any Italians listening at all. Who cares about how good your military is when you have panem et circuses? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Mm. <laughs> so let me ask. And you, nice weather. <laughs> exactly. It was beautiful there. So let me ask you a question, and you can you can choose either side, the Axis or the um, Allies. But what do you think, or how do you think Hannibal would have done if he had been on one side or the other in uh, 1940? Oh, that's a very interesting question there, right? Thank you. Um, yes, it was very clever of you for coming up with that, <laughs> considering I do Hannibal. <laughs> it's a podcast. I'm very impressed. Thank you. I would say mm-hmm. fairly well. I, I would place him as the one of the greatest generals ever. If not the greatest, I mean, some of his uh, tactical decisions, like um, the envelopments of the Romans at Cannae, it was being still being used that basic tactic in the Gulf War in the nineties. Wow! So I'm sure it'd have had great success. Yeah, uh, 
because I remember Schieflin, um from World War One, who was an, uh, just a huge fan of Hannibal and, and used his tactics when he was coming up with his plan. So you're right. I mean, thousands of years later, um, his tactics were still around, still working. And that's pretty much the true definition of success if it still works, you know, 2,000 years later. I think he would have probably fared at his best, perhaps, fighting for the Germans against the Russians. Right. Ah, because he had all the open space and he could maneuver and use different tactics and that kind of thing? Yes, like um, he'd be able to use the... He was brilliant at using the terrain to his advantage, which I think the Russians had the advantage of that, and perhaps he could have turned the tide. And the... uh, Like him, his very well-disciplined troops against the uh, more numerous Romans is comparable probably to, like, the... uh, the strong German army against the more numerous Russians, because that's Russia's great strength, is its huge manpower. It can throw millions of troops at you. And when you kill them, it can send millions more flooding from the east. A great red tide enveloping the land. I'm getting very poetic there. That's fine. We, we, we encourage uh, poetry on this podcast. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm so, kind of surprised by your answer. I just, you know, assumed Rome, um, Carthage, North Africa, that you were going to say either the British or the Italians in North Africa. But you're right. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he's, he's in Russia. If he knows the land, he can use it and he can and he would need to know the uh, land in order to use it to wipe out a superior uh, enemy as far as numbers go. No. That would have probably been a good idea to suggest the land he is actually familiar with. Right. And even though I did obviously uh, think about the possibility of you asking that question, and I have given <laughs> detailed responses, I uh, I decided to uh, do a bit of improvisation there. Well, I was uh, impressed. Show, thank you. Yeah. Show us off my flexibility <laughs> in arguing points that I don't necessarily agree with. Good Even though I do agree with this. you got to stay on your toes, and that's that's pretty good considering it's past 10 o'clock at night uh, where you're at. Very well done. Thank you for that. Sure. Um, so uh, if we want to get back to the Middle East, which is what we started off with. Yes, please. An aspect of the war I'm very interested in mm-hmm. is the war in Iraq. No, not Iraq, Iran. Because um, something you've covered in your podcast, is the importance of the Suez Canal. Right. And the role of that in, like, keeping the Middle East open. And Iran it was very important for its oil fields, which the British had a vested interest in, with the Persian, Persian-British, Brito-Persian, oil, the Anglo-Persian oil right. company. Right. Which later became BP. Um... And its usefulness in supplying the Russians, um, which led, of course, to the 1941 invasion of Tehran by the Soviets to keep that path forward because the Persians, fearing the British imperialism in the area, were quite pro-Hitler and Germany. So uh, I'm quite interested in thinking, how are you going to cover that period? Yeah. What do you think of it? Yeah, in September 1941, even though we haven't gotten there yet, uh, it's, mm-hmm. the, it's the British and the Russians that go in because the leader of um, Iran, formerly Persia, he asked everybody to 
to call it Iran. Uh, he did a very good job uh, on a number of fronts. He um, back before the war starts, he's able to bring in a lot of different specialists from from the, the different countries, um, and he's able to play off the different um, different countries, the leaders against each other, and he gets a lot of good things for Iran. He um, he brings them into the modern age, um, improves. Um, communications, transportations, that kind of thing. And he does a good job of balancing them out. But, however, he, just like everyone else, gets caught up in the tension in the uh, mid to late 1930s. And just like everyone else, he doesn't know who's going to win. And, of course, he's not a big fan of the British because they've been there and they're taking their oil. Um, and so near – I think it's – It was pesky British. I'm yeah, going to Exactly. No, no reason you should. Um, I think it's early or mid – September, uh, earlier mid-1941 when he closes off um, the use of railroads to the Allies. And, of course, everybody's trying to get supplies to Russia to keep them in the war um, against Germany because we desperately need their help because, you know, we're not on the, on the main – we're not on, on the continent yet, neither is the British. So at, at that point, the, um, the British and the Soviets have to do something. So they invade, they take over, and – the British, being very British, ask him nicely to step down and to let his son um, rule in his place. And, of course, he has no choice, so he says yes. But uh, I'm not sure exactly how I'm going to cover that yet because I don't know enough of the, the details. Uh, but I'll probably just incorporate it into the um, the overall Eastern Front. Um, and when, when Russia's, like, barely hanging on and they need all the supplies they can get, from the U.S., from from Britain, that kind of thing. So I'll probably just hopefully find a very clever way to weave all that in and just make it part of the narrative because it is an amazing story, um, but I just want to give it as much detail as I can. But at the same time, mm-hmm. keep the story going. Yeah, there's a lots of interesting like detail in there in all these little countries. Well, looks a huge country. <laughs> but it have all these... Um, yeah. Uh, not to offend any of my... Uh, Iranian listeners. Exactly. But the not so important countries in the war. Um, but you kind of get lost in the weeds. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, but you, sometimes you don't realize how many different countries it did affect. Um, you just think about, you know, Europe, Western Europe, you know, that kind of thing, and then Russia. But no, it affected a lot of different countries and it changed the world. And we're still dealing with the, uh, the changes today, which is one of the reasons I'm trying to tell the story, because it, the, the results of World War II are still very much uh, with us today. I think the uh, leader of Persia who was forced to. Um, abdicate Reza Shah. He was quite an interesting character with his uh, westernising of Persia. I think one of my favourite things that he did, uh, the thing I find the most funny, is that he made it illegal for men to wear any other headwear than the bowler hat, because people in the West wore bowler hats, so that must be the right way to... uh, to get things done. That's quite a, cr- a crazy thing. Uh, do you know any crazy things that happened in World War II, Ray? Um, hmm, well, first of all, I'm still trying to get over that one because I think that's just a good, sensible law for every country, even today. But um, actually, what I plan on doing is probably doing an episode or two of just very strange facts about World War II, which there are probably thousands of them. Uh, I think I'll save my answer for, for one of those episodes just so I can build it up. But yeah, it's things like that. And I do plan on going into his earlier life and what he did before the war, because 
He transformed that country, and he did it juggling many hats, no pun intended. And um, <laughs> it's, a really, it's a really interesting story, and uh, I can't wait to go into that one and give it a lot of detail. He was an amazing man. Um, he just kind of bet on the wrong side, and, you know, he had his reasons, but he, like others, bet on the wrong side and had to pay the price for it. Uh, the thing I think I find a lot about history when you're writing it, is that how much good stuff there is that you have to leave out because you're telling your story. And I just want to go off on all these crazy tangents. That doesn't stop me, of course. I still like to go up my crazy tangents. You go right ahead. But I, think, I think deep down, if every historian had the time, they'd probably want to just write a history of every single thing that happened. Yeah, because I'll literally write an episode and it will be 20 pages. And that's, oh my God, it's just over two hours of recording. There's no way... I want to do that or anybody wants to listen to that. So you have to edit it down. It gets edited down. And then suddenly you're telling kind of the highlights um, and you just have to, and you, and I'm sure you've run into, run into this. You just have to decide what stays in and what doesn't make it in. And you feel really bad. You, you're glad that you've gained that knowledge, but you're not sharing it and you feel kind of bad, but you know, you got to keep the story going. The show must go on. Oh yeah. I mean, even if it's something as simple, as because I don't want to get too bogged down in the weeds of just saying, oh, so this console did that, and I want to get into their name, who they were, but you just have to yeah. keep on going. We should just get stuck down in everything. But, I, yeah, but I feel it is very guilty towards those people. Right. Strangely enough, like, uh, oh, I feel really bad about that person who lived <laughs> 2,500 years ago because I didn't mention their name in my podcast. I'm sorry to you and your family line that I didn't give you an extra 15 seconds in my podcast. I feel really bad right now. That, <laughs> yes. that, that's the way it is, I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you were slightly less important than this almost anonymous right. person, you, so they're going to get a name. You almost part. made it. You almost. I wrote you down, but you didn't make it into the recording, so... I'm terribly sorry. You are the person I cast as the Tin Man, but had to leave because they got <laughs> right. because they were allergic to the paints that used in the costume. Exactly, someone's got to go, and and you're it. I wonder if anyone will get that reference to the Wizard of Oz film about this guy who yeah had to leave because he was allergic to the makeup. It was it was the actor from um, Beverly Hillbillies. Yes, it was. Yeah, I, I, me neither. Oh my God! But it's right there. But um, yeah, he had a reaction and he lost out. Oh, now you, now you're going to Google it, aren't you? I am. <laughs> I'm stuck with Beverly Hills. Uh, Beverly, Beverly Hill Koala Chihuahua. There you go. I'm looking right at him. He just had that home down, that home charm, um, intelligence, and way of life. Woody Epson. There we go, Buddy Epson. Good man. Good man. Okay, that would be on the trivia part of the uh, the quiz part of this uh, show. You see, listeners, you didn't expect this, but you're all going to be quizzed about what we've been talking about. <laughs> the winner gets a uh, a uh, a week's vacation at uh, the Maison Harris. Okay, hey, that's fine. Yeah, you come here, come here and relax. That'll be fine. So, yeah, so some of the things we talked about obviously will be covered in future uh, podcasts, but I still, I promise I'll still go into it and give you all the detail. Uh, in some ways, I will act like this episode never happened. Nothing personal, Jamie, but I'll, <laughs> I'll still give everybody all the details. And um, I will be one of the forgotten names in history. But, I just don't make the list. That's right. You might, you might 
end up like Buddy Epson and cut, but and get cut. But we'll see how it goes. Um, I've often been called the Buddy Epson of podcasting. The, exactly. <laughs> it's my name. I, I can't think of anything uh, any uh, any higher award than that. The Buddy Epson of podcasting. I like that. Mm-hmm. So so how much how how much and don't take this the wrong way because uh, it sounds bad now that I'm saying it out loud. But uh, so how much longer do you think um, Hannibal will be around? And do you have? Um, plans for any other podcast or you're just enjoying yourself um back in his world i am always one to think towards the future and i do have plans on what to do i've that i've got no idea how long hannibal is going to last okay because i think by this stage i'm at episode 18 right. and i had fig like plans to be at this point by about episode five <laughs> so i'm going way way over on everything because I do love to get caught up in the weeds. That's a good so, sign. I'm sure your your listeners are very happy with that. I think um, it's probably going to be another 50 episodes or so. So I'll probably be doing this for another year or so until I finish up with Hannibal. And then I'm going to uh, try something a bit different, I think is the plan. This is a, a world exclusive, by the way. Exactly, exactly. Don't tell anybody. So, uh, um, But you also have like a normal life, right? You, you're in school or you're, you have a job or something? Uh, yeah. Yes, I'm uh, currently a university student doing a degree in ancient history, as well as being a Latin teacher. Nice. Which is fun. Oh, Latin was the best language. Is it bad that I see French and Italian and Spanish? as, like, uh, mutations of my own perfect language, Latin. And I get really annoyed at the ways they changed it. Because I know it was better back in the Roman days. <laughs> well, as long as you don't correct everyone's speech, I think you'll be fine. How's that? Mm-hmm. Okay. So here's what we'll do. When I finally cover the Eastern Front, um, and we've covered uh, the, the Germans and the Russian go- Russians going at each other intensely, I'll call you back. We'll drop Hannibal in there somehow, and we'll see how he would have done it. How's that sound? That sounds like a plan, right? <laughs> Good. Okay. Well, thank you very much for spending some time with us. You should go to bed now. Oh, yeah. oh no, I have much of the day to watch. I need to watch my beloved sissy and then sleep. I understand. You have your priorities set appropriately. Good for you. Mm-hmm. So, thank, okay. so thank you, and I look forward to episode 18 of History of Hannibal when it comes out. Mm-hmm. And I look forward to this episode, obviously, and I- episode 62. Exactly, exactly. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So, again, uh, thank you very much. And to everyone, as always, please take care. Goodbye.